Hey book nerds, welcome back to another episode of Lively Literature. Today we're going to read chapter 4 of the book club. Let's get started. Chapter 4's quote reads, I will honor Christmas in my heart. I will live in the past, the present, and the future. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. I will not shut out the lessons that they teach. From Charles Dickens, A Christmas Story. The lights on the Christmas tree sparkled like distant stars in the darkened living room. Eve's collection of Santa Clauses were carefully placed on decorated tables around the room and the delicate wooden crate that she and Tom had purchased for their first Christmas together nestled in its place of honor atop the grand piano. Eve sat on one end of the green velvet living room sofa, cuddled under an old afghan. She'd lost a lot of weight, and the cold affected her much more than it ever used to. Opposite her, on the other side, with her long legs stretched out and one hand absently tugging at her shaggy bangs, slouched Annie Blake. They were sipping coffee, spiked with brandy, and listening to Frank Sinatra croon, I'll be home for Christmas. Eve's vision of the colored lights swam as the message struck true, home for Christmas. That had been her single goal for the six months since Tom's death, to stay in her home until Christmas. But now it all seemed so pointless. Although the stage was set with the usual props, it felt as empty and as cold as a deserted theater. Once this place, once this was a place of hospitality, merriment, and revelry, a place where scores of friends and family came for a holiday visit and a cup of cheer. This year, only Annie rang the doorbell. Doesn't feel like Christmas, Eve said softly over the rim of her cup. Aw, Eve, Annie replied with gentle exasperation. What did you expect? She rested her cup she rested her cup on her bent knee and pursed her lips. It's your first Christmas without Tom. You have to face that this Christmas isn't the same. Your life is different. No amount of creative decorating is going to change that immutable fact. Eve shuddered, drawing the Afghan closer around her shoulders, and turning her head away. She didn't want to listen. Bah humbug. What am I going to do with you? Annie asked with a sorry shake of her head. I see you slipping deeper and deeper into this pit and I can't pull you out. You're so thin, so remote, so goddamn stubborn. I am not stubborn, Eve retaliated, hurt. I'm in mourning. No, you're way past mourning. You're dying, fizzing out, fading away before my very eyes and it burns my butt. I'm sorry, Eve replied tightly, shifting her weight and retreating farther. Just, then just go if I make you so uncomfortable. Damn, you don't think I haven't thought about it? She exploded. It's hard watching this. It's hard for everyone who cares about you. You just won't listen to anything anyone has to say. You're deaf to all advice. It's driving your friend, the people who care about you, crazy. She paused, taking in the way Eve brought her knees up to her chest and tightened the afghan around her shoulders.
I'm sorry, Eve, but haven't you noticed that a whole lot of people don't come by anymore? Eve felt a burn on her cheeks. Of course I have, she replied defensively. I don't blame them. It's the holidays. I'm alone, depressed. I'm not exactly party material. Aside from making them feel awkward about tiptoeing around my feelings, I make a difficult table placement. A single woman, yet not socially acceptable, to pair with an un unattached male so soon after her voice trailed away. After Tom's death, go ahead, say it. Eve stuck her chin out and tightened her lips. Don't you see it, sweetie? That's what I'm talking about. No more excuses. Tom's dead. Gone. You have to pick up the pieces and move forward. Not just for you, but for the children's sake. You're stagnant here, going under. I'm doing okay. Annie slapped her forehead with, the, with her palm. Hey, who are you talking to here? You can't keep up those false pretenses with me, sweetie. It might work with Doris or the rest of those Riverton Martins. But I'm not just your friend. I'm your lawyer. I do your books. I know your finances better than you do, and I'm telling you, you're going under. Faster than the Titanic, and... She said, rolling her eyes. This place you're carrying is about as big... It's not just some place, it's my home. Look, hon, I know you wanted, even needed, to stretch things out so you could be here for Christmas. It was a bad decision fiscally, and I didn't like it, but I didn't, but hey, I didn't push you either for the kid's sake. But the party's over. You have to move, now. I can hang on a little longer. No, you can't. In fact, I'm worried sick about what will happen to you if the house doesn't sell quickly? You should have sold last summer when the pool was open, gotten top dollar, but, she conceded, turning her head to take in the large room with the coved molding and high ceilings. All this mahogany and blasphem trim makes this a perfect holiday house and ought to push a lot of emotional buttons for buyers after Christmas. As your lawyer, I'm advising you to put this elephant on the market. And as your friend, I'm begging you to do it now. Eve had heard this conversation before, knew where it was heading, and felt the walls closing in on her. She sat her cup on the glass coffee table with a shaky hand. Where would I go? She rasped, voicing the question for the first time. When she raised her eyes to Annie, they were wide with fear. Annie slowly placed her cup on the table beside Eve's and, gent and said gently, Where do you want to go? Eve shrugged her shoulders and shook her head. It's not that I haven't thought about it. Bronte and Finney are happy here. Their friends are here. I can't pull them away from what they know now, not after all they've been through. Hun, Annie said with her husky voice low and well-modulated, I'm not sure you can afford to stay in Riverton. There are some small houses. You can't afford a small house here. Eve sucked in her breath and brought her fist to her lips. My God, what am I going to do? Again, you have to answer that question for yourself. I can't. I can't. 
Of course you can, Annie hurried to answer, moving closer to place her long hands over Eve's small ones. And you're not alone. I'm here with you. Helping women in your situation is what I do for a living, remember? There's nothing to fear. You just have to see yourself in transition. Step by step, you'll get through this. Eve nodded half-heartedly, knowing this was what was expected, accustomed to doing what was expected of her. She drew back. Annie sighed, released Eve's hands, and did the same. Eve chewed her lip and finger at the Afghan, and fingered at the Afghan. Eve's patient, Annie's patience with her was wearing thin. She looked at Annie's long, slim body wrapped in a cashmere and wool, wrapped in cashmere and wool with diamond studs in her ears, short but polished nails, and her blonde hair loosely tied back with a clasp. Annie's self-confidence crackled in the air around her. She'd practically raised herself after running away at 13 from her poor, quote-unquote, weird hippie commune home in Oregon to live with her grandparents in Chicago. There was nothing Annie felt she couldn't do if she tried hard enough. It was this sense of empowerment that had led so many divorced, widowed, lost single women to her law firm, lost single women to her law firm, seeking her out, hoping a bit of confidence would sprinkle on them like fairy dust. On the other end of the sofa, Eve felt all the more thin, opaque shadow of a woman like Annie Blake who faced the outside world on a daily basis, chin out, fists in the ready, making their own living. It wasn't envy, she felt, but confusion. Who was this pitiful creature curled up on the sofa, cowering under a blanket? Where was the secure, attractive, competent woman she remembered Eve Porter to be? That woman seemed to have died with Tom. How did I let this happen to me, Annie? She cried. I'm not stupid or naive. I've always prided myself on my intellect. But for 23 years, I let Tom make all the decisions about money. He'd like to do it. And I, she paused, didn't care. Sure, I handled the checkbooks, paid the bills, arranged the lawn to be cut, the maid to clean twice a week, and the shirts to be laundered. I mean, I'm not a moron. I raised my children. I supported my husband, managed my family. I was good at my job. She heard the defensiveness in her own voice and felt an overwhelming sadness that somehow that job didn't matter so much anymore, that her home was unimportant. She felt somehow less than Annie and the other professional women working outside of the home, as she resent, rented, and she resented it deeply. Of course you were, Annie said, resting a hand over hers. No one's saying you weren't, Eve. Don't use that tone with me, she snapped. What tone? That placent. Poor little Eve, poor helpless, mindless housewife, tone that working women like you are so good at dishing out. I see. Eve looked up to see Annie draw her knees tight. Guilt washed over her, 
and she reached out to grab Annie's hand back. I'm sorry, that wasn't fair. Eve snorted and said, I did kind of sound patronizing. I hate when people do that to me, to any woman. Hit me if I ever do it again. Ditto. Both women laughed and squeezed hands. The tension eased. You know I'm on your side, pal. I know. I'm only telling you that you can't afford your old lifestyle any longer. I'm sorry, Eve. I wish it were different for you. But Tom, well, you know. Eve knew. Tom had stretched everything to the limit. Like most baby boomers, expecting to live to a ripe old age. He was a surgeon, raking in a healthy income at the prime of his life. He thought he'd have plenty of time to start saving for the future. He didn't expect to die at 50, but he did, leaving his family unprepared. They didn't have outstanding debts, but their lifestyle, as Annie put it, was titanic. Titanic. His life insurance had carried them through the past six months, but it was disappearing fast. In fact, they were broke, and no time of the year was that fact more rudely apparent than at Christmas. Look at that, Eve said, indicating with a wave of her hand the sparse showing of gifts under the tree. The kids are going to be so disappointed this year. I couldn't afford to get them much of anything. They're used to mountains of gifts. It used to take us all day just to open them. Yeah, well, I never had that many Christmas gifts, so excuse me if I don't feel sorry for them. Well, I do, but not because of the number of gifts. Don't they have a clue what it took for you to keep them in this house through Christmas? No, and I don't want them to know. Children shouldn't worry about money. Bull cakes. I knew more about handling my money, what there was of it, at 13 than my druggy parents did. Not making children worry about it and discussing it honestly with them are two different things entirely. What's wrong with letting them know money's tight? They're not stupid. They probably figured it out already. You're going to have to tell them something, and soon. She craned her neck to peer through the arched entry. And by the way, where are the little darlings? Eve didn't think Annie knew what she was talking about when it came to children. At 43, Annie had only married a few years earlier. Her big tribute to turning 40 and to a man three years her junior. She'd never opted to have children and often saw them in the same light she would see a mosquito at a picnic. They're at their friends' houses. They're always out these days. 